Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey guys, I'm uploading this episode early for reasons that'll be apparent once you start listening to it. We're still going to have five episodes this week, but this is technically Thursday's episode. I'm just uploading it Tuesday night. Does that make sense? So I hope you guys enjoy this special episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. A medical mystery the internet can't even figure out. Is it possible that Bigfoot has a much tinier and easier to catch cousin? And then we take a look at what happens when two boys go out exploring one day in the year 1976. They see a door in a cave and think it may lead to riches or mystery. Instead, it leads them right into the realm of the paranormal, today on a very special episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. You know, you know, I always want to say I'm having a great day, uh, but you know, we got a little bit of bad news today. A longtime listener of the show, Samson the dog, is not long for this world. Put up a good fight, but um, he, he doesn't have much time left. He doesn't have much time left. So I actually got an email from a listener of the show named Sean. He actually helped with a story a while back, Gaddington Canyon. I used him as a source for that story. And he emailed me today, and he said he would go out and he would listen to Dead Rabbit Radio, and he'd play with his dog. He'd play catch, a little tug-of-war with him and stuff like that. To the point that Samson, he's a three-and-a-half-year-old German shepherd, got to realize that when Sean picked up his phone and his Bluetooth speaker, it was time to play. That's what he got to listen to the show. He'd take it out there, he'd listen to the show. And little Samson, he said, we'd run to the door and start whining. Come on, come on, come on. He goes, I feel like Samson loved the show as much as I did. And, and he also said that there are so many memories he has of him laughing at the show and laughing at his dog doing crazy stuff. And he wanted me to mention this too. His dog got diagnosed with something. He said I was going to mispronounce it, but his dog got diagnosed with something called leptospiriasis. It's, it's so common. The vets, veterinarians actually recommend getting your dog vaccinated once a year because the risk factor is being a dog. The risk factor is swimming in lakes, jumping in rivers, uh, chasing ducks, any sort of, anytime they interact with wild animals or urine, which is kind of the main things dogs do, right? They can catch this disease. And it's one of those diseases that you don't know about. And then your dog gets sick, and you're like, what's going on? And the veterinarian's like, well, it's that thing Jason can't pronounce. And you think, oh, I should have had it vaccinated if I had known more. But it's just something that people aren't fully aware of. So we wanted to bring awareness to that. And we wanted to make this episode dedicated to Samson. Samson's going to be our captain, our pilot of this episode. He's a good old boy. Give him a bunch of love. And I actually went and I found some funny stories to talk about. I originally had a really depressing episode planned. But no, for Samson's episode, we're going to do some more fun stuff. Fun stuff. The last story is a little dark, but funner than I had planned. And I also am going to play a song 
from my one of my favorite bands, the best local band, I believe, Sundiver. I stick around for that song. It is a beautiful song, a modern lullaby. That'll be the end of the episode. That song is dedicated to Samson. And that song is dedicated to everybody who's ever lost anyone they've ever cared about. So I'm going to dangle, look at little Samson. He's such a good boy. We're going to pet him. Everyone give him a big old pet. Show him some love. Give him Get right between the ears. We are going to hand him the keys to all of our vehicles. He is going to be our captain, our pilot of this episode. I got some fun stories, some funny stuff. Because the episode I originally had planned was super depressing. So I was like, oh, let's get like, little Samson, little good boy. Let's take, let's find some fun adventures that we can go on with Samson. So Samson, first off, we're going to give you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. And we are going to take a ride in <laughs> this story you may not appreciate. Samson's like, seriously, you made me anthropomorphic for this? We're going to Stockton, California, a.k.a. meth capital of the world. Yes, it's one of those stories. So little Samson's driving the car. We're driving out to Stockton, California. He's like, I don't want to be in the meth episode, bro. You're a good boy. You're a good boy. So the other day, this is just the way that the internet works. And my mind, it's bad to have those two things combined. One day I was sitting at the coffee shop. This was actually months and months ago. I've had this story in my maybe folder. So that it's not, it wasn't maybe because I didn't have any faith in it. I'm really intrigued by this story. But people on the back end, the personal friends of mine, when I'd tell them about this, they're like, dude, that's so gross. Don't talk about that. But here we are. So it was Samson's choice. He picked it. He picked it. He's like shaking his head. I was on the internet a couple months ago. And for whatever reason, I wanted to look at people who got, <laughs> people who got burned up by meth. This is a real, real problem, right? You're making your homebrew meth. It's an explosion. It's a chemical explosion. It tears off several layers of skin. It's terrible. So I went to type in meth burns, and I misspelled it. I spelled meth burbs. <laughs> Picture of Stockton, California came up. Meth burbs actually autocorrected to meth burps. And I was like, what? Is this a thing? Is this a medical mystery like I said in the beginning? You're like, that's not a medical mystery. <laughs> Hold on. It's a digestive mystery. So uh, if you look up meth burps, I mean, it's up to you guys. You may have better things to do. But if you look up meth burps, it's weird because some people, it's one of those things that happens a lot to a select group of people. You may say these people are the elite. They're the chosen meth users. Because one person asked on Quora, hey, why do I burp a lot when I'm coming down off meth? And nobody responded to the question. Which is weird, because you figure, like, you know, there's always this weird, like, meth brotherhood where people are always trying to give each other tips. The tip is get more meth. That's their advice for everything. But it was weird someone stated this question, and then no one answered it. So now I'm intrigued. I'm like, is there truly only one meth burper out there? Is this guy the chosen one? Is this the nobody of the meth community? So I kept digging. (laughs) At that point, whatever I was researching was put on the back burner. I needed to learn more about meth burbs. And I found one question that actually had some answers to it. So someone, this one was very specific. This one wasn't just, this one just isn't, does meth cause burbs? This is, does smoking meth cause sulfur burbs? (laughs) It's demonic, maybe. It's paranormal. It It fits the show. So there's a guy named Tony who wrote this on Quora. Yes, it does. There was one answer for this question. Yes, it does. And he wrote, The last time I smoked meth, I ate a roast beef and cheddar sandwich right before smoking. An hour later, wait, what point are you like, I want to ingest this noxious chemical into my lungs. But first, let's go to Arby's. (laughs) Those two go together. 
Arby's is basically the fast food equivalent of meth. It's the grossest restaurant that only the grossest people go to, right? I've never, I, there was one time I was with a group of friends. There was an Arby's maybe two blocks from where we lived. In the three years we lived there, we went to Arby's a single time. And I, maybe we were just tired of Del Taco, but we went to Arby's. Bunch of meth heads working there. The manager's a meth head. He says he ate a roast beef and cheddar sandwich right before smoking it. And then afterwards, he got sulfur egg burps, is how he described it. And then he had violent nausea and diarrhea. I'm assuming this guy did go to Arby's. I don't think he made this roast beef sandwich at home. But he said that, I love this. This is his quote here. I must be sensitive to one of the nasty chemicals used to produce meth. Okay, that's that's likely, right? It is a nasty chemical, and a human body would be sensitive. But that's not where he finishes his sentence. He keeps going on, because that would mean he couldn't smoke meth anymore. He continues. I must be sensitive to one of the nasty chemicals used to produce meth, and I will never eat anything of significance again before smoking it. Good on you, Tony. Good on you for putting two and two together. Yes. I'm ingesting this. I'm ingesting floor cleaner. And I'm having violent diarrhea. The answer is to keep doing that, but no longer eat. Someone else asked. I had to go to Reddit. I was really looking this up. Someone else on Reddit said, what if I shot up? What if I used an IV? Would that, this is what's interesting. If I used an IV, if I injected meth straight into my veins, would I still burp? At that point, the least of your worries is your, is your burping habit. You're injecting methamphetamines. But anyways, it doesn't. You would think that it was the smoking going into your lungs and all the nasty chemicals and the roast beef and cheddar sandwich. They should make flavored meth. You should have like, like tropical punch flavored meth. You're like, feel the breeze. <laughs> you turn into Kool-Aid. You basically are the Kool-Aid man on meth. You're breaking into people's houses. You're knocking down their walls. But he says, no, they were saying that even if you inject it, you're going to be hit up with it. So I know what you guys are thinking. Jason, you shouldn't should have left that in the maybe folder. It's a medical mystery. And sulfur, sulfur is the smell of the devil. So it, it works. It's a mystery and it's demonic. And um, Samson's just kind of giving me the side eye right now. Tapping his little paw on the steering wheel. Are we going to go to the next story? Yes. Yes, we are. First, let me do my advertising read for Arby's. I do that real quickly. And then, Samson, we're going to toss you the keys to the... Jason Jet, we're going to go high in the sky. We're going to take off. We're actually going to go back in time as well to the year 1944. Now, this story is more dog appropriate. This story, Samson's going to be out running through the woods because it's the year 1944 and we're at Bly Mountain Lookout in Oregon. Samson's running around. Sean's throwing the ball to him. Samson's having a ball. We're all having a ball. Sean's throwing the ball to us as well. We're intercepting the ball from Samson. Samson's like, dang it, go on. We're playing keep away. But we give him the ball. He's a good boy. But then we want it back. We want it back. Trying to get it from him. This was actually a recommendation from Druthers CA on Twitter. He actually sent this to me a bit ago. And it's a pretty interesting story. So thank you, Druthers CA. 1944, it's Bly Mountain Lookout. And Bud Darkor and his younger brother are walking through the woods. And they see a bright light fly out of the sky. And they can tell where it landed. They go, that's about two miles away, based on the way them trees are planted and the sun and the way I can judge distances. So they set off. 
to see what this thing actually was. And they see a burnt patch of ground about 30 feet in diameter. So they get down there, they see this burnt patch in the ground, and they're looking at it, and they're like, okay, well, I don't know what we expected, right? I mean, obviously you expected a UFO, but you come down, you see some burnt grass, and they're like, well, that's pretty cool looking, but okay, we looked at it, like we didn't bring a camera or anything. So they start heading back to the way they came, and then they see tracks, little footprints in the soil. And they're like, hey, come here, come here, younger brother. (laughs) They never named you, parents never named you, look. Look at these tracks, and the brother's like, oh my god. Those are the smallest tracks I've ever seen before, little footprints. And they have stumbled across the mystery known as Babyfoot. We all know Bigfoot, right? King of the forest, giant ape man who smells like sulfur, must be smoking a bunch of meth. Maybe that's why we can never find him, because we're going to raid his factory. We all know about Bigfoot. Babyfoot is actually very well-known in Oregon. Now, throughout America, I shouldn't say throughout America, but there's a lot of parts of America that have old Native American legends of tiny warriors that they had to fight off to take the land, like going way, way back in time, like in the Central America, not Central America, but in the central part of the United States of America, you had like tribes of these like tiny little people that were like cannibals and they I've done episodes on them in the past but I don't remember their specific name but biting on people and stuff like that which is kind of implied through the cannibalism but in Oregon it's different they're known as babyfoot they were never considered by the natives to actually be little humans they were considered to be little hairy people walking around not saying if you're hairy you can't be a human but They were considered to be basically a relative of Bigfoot. Their footprints are only four and a half inches long. Tiny little guys. They're walking around. Now, Bud and his brother, they ended up, like, getting the Forest Service involved. And the Forest Service comes out there, and then there's, like, government official out there as well. And they're like, look at these tiny footprints. What could have possibly have made these footprints? The actual official answer at that time, the government official said that it's possible... That what you saw and what left these footprints was a monkey. And they're like, yeah, but what did, how did a monkey get in the middle of the woods? And the government official said, it must have fallen out of an airplane. So that, that's not right, right? Like, yes, I get it. Monkeys can fall out of airplanes. They're not walking away from it. And if they did, their footprints are going to be quite bloody. They're going to be all staggering and stuff like that. I'm not saying test it. I'm not saying build a lab, build a wind tunnel, and start dropping monkeys. But... I think we can dismiss that out of hand. There actually is a reasonable explanation for those footprints. But before we get into that, before I poo-poo all over baby Bigfoot, let's talk a little bit more about people who actually believed in them. So like I said, the Native Americans, they've had tons of stories about these things. And there's a lot of places in Oregon named after these guys. You have Babyfoot Creek, Babyfoot Lake Botanical Area. You have that. You have Baby Rock. They just left a foot off of that one. They're just like, that's rock. We don't, we're not going to mention the Babyfoots with this legend, because this legend actually involved two dudes sleeping under the rock. They're out hunting. This is like old, old-timey Native American times. They're out hunting, and they were like, oh, I hope someone else catches an elk today, because I'm sleepy. So they fall asleep, but they wake up, and someone's biting them. Arr, and they assume it's the other dude sleeping next to them. They're like, oh, I didn't know you felt that way. It was actually a Babyfoots attacking them. And the bite is poisonous. They didn't tell them that. They, didn't, they did not tell them that. When they went out there, the shaman has a lot to answer for about that. He's like, yeah, sorry, I didn't tell you about the poisonous tiny people out there before you took a nap. You're supposed to be hunting anyways. Anyways, they died. So then the tribe goes, okay, we're going to get those little guys back. 
So they stood there out in the woods, and they just were waiting for the baby foot to come back. And they see a little little dude walking by one night, a little guy. And they jump on top of him, they throw a blanket around him, and they tie it closed. And they're like, we got this cryptid. This thing that, I mean, people have been hunting Bigfoots forever. And they caught one in a bag. And they set it on fire. They burn it alive. They kill it. So they just assume that they got the baby foot. But of course, with Bigfoot, the legend of Bigfoot, there's multiples of these things. And you would, throughout Oregon, you'd have, sometimes they were more civilized, sometimes they would have poison arrows. They actually had weapons. Sometimes they just walk around and bite you. Sometimes they're cannibals. That goes with the biting thing. However, Bigfoot has, the best thing Bigfoot has going for him is his ability to leave no evidence behind where he's been. It's a really good trick. And this, his size, right? Because you're not going to mess with Bigfoot. Even if Bigfoot didn't mess around, he's still bigger than a gorilla. He's about the size of a black bear. So Babyfoot doesn't have the size going for him, but he does have poison ability, so that's kind of cool. If he was a Pokemon card, that's like his plus. However, these cryptids were so lame. One, you could you could capture them, which is pretty much the number one thing cryptids can't have happen to them. Two, their main predator wasn't humans. It wasn't even other Babyfoots fighting for tribal supremacy. It was it was birds. B- big old condors would come down and grab these guys and fly off into the distance. I don't really think you can even call yourself a cryptid. I don't care about the height. Like, we've covered tiny cryptids before. We've covered, like, microscopic cryptids and uh, the little tiny guys that were in Africa riding on ants and stuff like that. Um, a botwa or something like that. So uh, the size doesn't matter. But none of those guys got killed by, like, the common crow. Or just, you know, like, a beaver walks by and, like, steps on you. These guys got killed a lot by condors. Now, the theory is, is that, yes, something is leaving tiny footprints all over Oregon. Little baby footprints all over Oregon. But it's not a little dude. It's not a little dude shooting out arrows. Remember that? They're arrows. They're poisonous. All that stuff. Getting attacked by birds. Scientists believe they're actually porcupines. Because they said that their feet look like baby footprints. And they have quills, which kind of looks like an arrow, kind of looks like a hundred arrows if you squint. And they're not poisonous, but you don't want to get stuck with a quill because maybe maybe that porcupine was rolling around in a meth factory and got extra toxic. So scientists say the babyfoot tracks that you can actually find all over Oregon on baby rock, they say like the feet prints, the footprints are actually in the rock itself. It's probably a baby, it's probably a porcupine because a porcupine looks like a baby footprint. The problem with that is, I don't know what you guys are thinking. That might be true. A porcupine's footprint may look like a baby's footprint. But if you, (laughs) if you ever met a porcupine with feet that were 4.5 inches long, that's not a porcupine. That's, that is something out of a balloon man's nightmare. Or your nightmares. You don't have to be made of balloons to not want to meet a giant quilled creature. Four and a half inches? That's massive for a porcupine's foot. Now, to be fair, I don't know how big porcupines are. I don't know. Maybe porcupines are. I've only seen porcupines on television. I don't know how big a porcupine is normally. But four and a half inches seems quite quite big for having... The feet. But again, they that could just be normal for a porcupine. So, is Babyfoot actually a porcupine? Is Babyfoot Bigfoot's tinier cousin? 
who gets eaten <laughs> gets eaten all the time by eagles and and it can also attack people and bite them and stuff like that who knows <laughs> i definitely don't i don't even know how big a porcupine is but people still believe in this legend and they've named places all over oregon after babyfoot there is actually babyfoot tracks spotted in 1992 up at the green point upper reservoir which is nearby where i live i might actually do a live stream i'm shaking my head i will never do this but i think it would be cool to go out there and hunt the babyfoot the problem is i'm not an outdoorsman that's really the only problem right i I don't i would get lost up there I would totally get lost up there. And that's actually a great segue for our next story. Samson, we're going to give you a little collar with a little carpenter copter key around it. And you are going to... He's like, dude, you put it in my paw. I'm supposed to fly this thing if my neck is in the ignition. Okay, we'll give you another one. That's your memorial key. We're going to give you another... I should send out carpenter copter keys to my Patreons. Make some fake keys. I don't think about that. Anyway, Samson's like, I try not to make money during my episode. Samson, he puts in the key to the carpenter copter. We are flying out to England. <laughs> Helicopters flying over the Atlantic Ocean. We are going back to the year 1976. It's a beautiful summer day. This story is from the UFO Experiencer Support Group. And I got it from thinkaboutitdocs.com. They got it from them. But we don't have an exact day. We don't have the names of these kids. But this is a creepy one. We're going to land that carpenter copter in a little English glen. We all hop out. We're dressed all posh. We've got top hats on. Whatever ties they wear over there. You know, like the skinny, weird ones you see when you watch Call the Midwife. Which I don't. You, you might. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Samson's leading the way. We are walking into this English glen, and we see two nine-year-old boys. They're out playing in this glen. They're walking around with sticks, hitting each other, hunting porcupines. The porcupine's giant. It's chasing them away. They're like, ah. They eventually find their way to an old cemetery. And they're like, let's go in here. Because we're nine years old, and life is full of adventure. It's also 1976, when people allowed their kids to wander off into the wilderness, and they knew they would come back. 1976, these two nine-year-old boys, let's call them Johnny and Barney, go walking through this old cemetery. And they see a trench that's dug in the cemetery. And they're like, what in the world? They jump into the trench, and they're walking around. And that little sense of excitement and fear starts welling up in them. They know they shouldn't be in the old cemetery to begin with, but they definitely shouldn't be in this trench. And I said in the beginning of the episode, this took place in a cave. But I was wrong. It takes place in a trench. So, forget that. Forget that I said that earlier. It's a trench. This is a trench story. So they're walking through the trench. And they see a black door at the end of the trench. They're like, what? I've seen a lot of trenches in my life, Barney. I've actually only seen two. This being the second one. But I've never seen a trench with a door in it. Where would that door even possibly lead? It would have to lead underground. They both say at the same time. So they walk up, Johnny walks up, and he starts to turn the knob. (laughs) Apparently, the door needs to be greased, or it's Marge Simpson. They open the door, and they see a room in front of them. 
the first thing that catches their eyes are lit up control panels lining the wall. Johnny and Barney kind of look at each other. Computer banks, monitors, all of these lights flashing on the walls. And then in front of two of these panels, there are chairs. And sitting in the chairs are aliens. Doop, doop, boop, boop. Boop. They're pressing buttons. Doop, boop, boop. They're making electronic music. This is the beginning of dubstep. These aliens are interacting with the consoles. Now, these are gray aliens. This story takes place in 1976. It's interesting because I don't know. First off, I don't think these kids could point out what a computer monitor was or a computer, especially in 1976. They're just seeing this advanced technology in front of them. It's all green screen, dot matrix printer. They're like, whoa, dude. And even the idea of what a gray alien would look like, they this would be the first time they would seen this. There was no communion book. There's no book that scared everyone when it was on their parents' shelf. They say that the aliens are interacting with all of these panels, and the two boys are standing there, and something gives away their presence. Because when the aliens turn, almost simultaneously, the two aliens turn and look at the boys, They're described as the aliens look startled. The person telling the story said, the aliens actually flinched when they saw us. Out in the English countryside, in a deep trench, in an old cemetery. Bright summer day, the aliens did not expect to have visitors. But here there were two nine-year-old boys. The aliens... (gasps) And right when the aliens flinched, two panels... opened up on both sides of the room and out came these massive robots. Beep, bop, burp, beep, bop, burp, beep, bop, burp. I don't know if they're actually making that noise, but you know, it's it's theater of the mind. So these two robots are walking around. They're massive. Gray aliens are normally like four or five feet tall. Nine-year-old boys are about four feet tall. These things were huge. And they're just these giant robots that are walking towards them. And they were all silver. The boys said it actually looked... Like, not so much like a robot, but it looked like somebody somebody wearing a robot suit. Because he said, as it was moving, you could see, like, the waist crinkle. So it looked like it was metal, but it actually would... You know when you're walking with your shirt, with your shirt on and actually creases and stuff like that? He goes, that's what it looked like. He said, the thing had tiny little beady eyes, but no mouth. And it had these massive claws, like crab claws. Both of them. Beep. Bop, boop, clapping. They're not doing that. I don't know why I keep doing that. They are, though, snapping their claws at these two boys. And within seconds, these things are on top of these kids. The claws wrap around the boy's waist, like a crab grabbing a fish out of the water. Johnny looks at Barney. Barney looks at Johnny. They're both in the grips of these robots or people wearing mech suits. And then Johnny wakes up in bed. I know yesterday I did a segment about a guy waking up in bed. He was out in the forest. He woke up in bed, so it could have been a dream. However, Johnny wakes up out of his bed. Across the way, Barney wakes out of his bed. They come to meet each other, and Johnny goes, Okay, this might have just been a dream, but weren't we just in a trench? And Barney goes, with the robots. With the big old claw hands. And Johnny goes, Yeah. So there's no way they both had the same dream at the same time. It's funny because it validates yesterday's story. These two kids were captured. They, don't, they have no idea what happened after they were captured. 
They said it was summer. It was a nice summer day. They're out in the old cemetery. The next thing they know, they're basically crashing an alien's party pad. They get clawed. Get big old claws wrapped around them. And then they both are dropped off in their bedrooms, asleep. It's a terrifying story. It definitely has, like, a happy ending, right? These kids don't get chopped up. They don't get thrown into alien gladiator prison and stuff like that. That would actually be kind of dope, but... You know, they live. They are back at home. These type of stories always make you wonder, what about the people who don't make it home? We always hear the war stories about the soldiers who are fighting in the last man because somebody is there, the second to last man, is there to tell that story. Or the winning army goes in and they see the aftermath of the battle and they can take an after-battle report and things like that. But when people just go missing, there's always that question of where did they go? What could have happened? We know about the people who are abducted by aliens and then dropped off, but we don't know about the people who are abducted by aliens and are never seen again. The elderly farmer in Albania who lives miles from town. The loner who smokes his last cigarette, leaves the bar. Nobody really got to know that guy. Unemployed, stumbles off down the street, never seen again. There's a whole mass of people that unfortunately can simply disappear. You would never know about it. Especially like with uh, prostitutes and things like that. If you think about it, like hardcore drug users, how at a certain point they, their family has dismissed them and society has dismissed them and they, they run the track. That's the term where you go from California to Washington and back. That's a prostitution term. You get... To recognized in one city by the local police, you move on to the next one, you go up and down the track. Um, they're very transient. And even and, and homeless people, obviously, are incredibly transient. If they disappeared, if they were walking through these tunnels, if they were getting abducted by aliens, you would never know because they're already off the grid. So whenever these people get dropped back off at home, it does make me think, these are the people who get dropped back off at home. What happens to the people who don't? What are their stories? Where are they? Kind of a creepy story. And it's also creepy because generally, we've talked about this a lot on the show, there's that idea that aliens abduct people because they're chosen to be abducted, either for a medical reason or a psychological reason. These kids weren't chosen. These kids were just bumbling into a secret UFO base. Got attacked by robots. It's really hard to avoid alien contact if they're everywhere. If you can literally just open a door and find two gray aliens busy at work. So the next time you're driving down that dark road and you see a turnoff that you've never driven down before, just keep driving. Or if you walk into your house and you notice, that's weird. My kitchen my kitchen used to not have a black door behind the fridge. Just ignore it. <laughs> or, or move. Or move. Because that door you opened, that trail you walked down that you never walked down before. Sure, it could lead to adventure that reminds you of what it was like to be a child. Traipsing through the English countryside when you were nine years old. Sure, it could do that. But it could also lead you right into the cold metal grasp of an alien robot. And you may become one of those people that we never get to hear the ending of their story. You may not end up waking up and wondering, was it all a dream? 
you may find yourself trapped in a cage, naked, and covered in slime, in a pitch black room somewhere, deep within an alien starship, and thinking every moment, I wish I could wake up. This has to be a dream. It's just a dream. Please wake up. That was, that was a pretty sad ending, but Samson, we love you. Everyone here at Dead Rabbit Radio loves you. You know that. All the fans were giving them pets. I'm going to play a song from Sundiver, one of my favorite bands, the best local band here in town. This is an amazing song. I consider it a modern lullaby. And let's go ahead and listen to this. This song is dedicated to you, Samson. This song is dedicated to you, Sean. You'll see him again. He will be waiting for you. You're a good boy, Samson. You're a good boy. Where the forest meets the water Where the air is crisp and clear I sit afloat all of these wonders Caress the textures of our years And I'm loving every moment of this, whatever it is we are. I want to love you like the moon loves the stars.
Textures of our years. 